when you enter the program, that's when the networking begins because you don't do anything alone. Once you get into those cohorts, you're in a group for your master's and your doctorate. You're not a learner by yourself. You're always part of a team. That's when the networking really began. Meeting people in the cohorts who worked from different, worked in different schools, higher ed, public ed, industry, and um, learning about them, being curious about them. Uh, and that really has paid out in different ways since I graduated. Everybody and welcome to another episode of How to College First Gen, where we help first-generation college students figure out the how, why, and when of college. I am Sandra Fernandez, and I'm your host for this week, and this week we've got Dr. Michelle Cantu-Wilson joining us. We're going to be talking about the importance of professional networking. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Sandra. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be here. It's good to see you. And first, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, and what you do. My name is Dr. Michelle Gantu-Wilson. I am currently the creative director and lead speaker for a consulting firm based out of Dallas, Marquee Consulting. I'm working on developing a leadership institute for mid-level and executive leaders in any industry. And I'm also working on a podcast. I'm excited about that. I'll have to share that later and learn from you. I am a former higher education administrator. I was the director of teaching and learning initiatives and special projects at San Jacinto College in Pasadena. Before that, I was a professor for five years. I taught developmental education, reading and writing. Prior to that, I was a public education administrator. I was an assistant principal, middle school for six years. And before that, I was an English teacher, I was an elementary teacher, I was a preschool, first grade teacher. Education has always been part of my life. As I've told you several times, education is my family business. All of my siblings either currently are or have been teachers. I'm the only black sheep that hasn't dipped her toes in it yet, but there's always time. <laughs> there's always time. And look at, you, look at who you're associating with, educators. Absolutely. In your role as helping to develop leaders, what is it you see about professional networks? Well, I think primarily what I see and the impetus for this Leadership Institute is that your most impactful leaders, your mid-level leaders, the ones in middle management, your directors, your managers, your assistant managers, in higher education, we're talking about your deans, your coordinators in industry, we're talking about perhaps your assistant directors, things of that level. I think because of the workload and because of the sheer amount of burdens that they have to lift every single day and carry with them, that there's never time or not enough time for not just leadership development, but the kind of professional networking that would serve as a balm for them during the trying times. We know during the pandemic, the switch to remote instruction for educators was intense. Leaders had to do anything that they could to support our teachers and our professors. And on the tail end of that, as we have returned to in-person instruction and appointments with students, particularly in higher ed and public ed, I've seen a lot of burnout. And I, I personally believe, and I'm, I'm seeing also in the research, that this has something to do with that lack of networking. What we lost whenever we went to remote operations was not just the routine of every day and being in person. We lost 
our friendships, our office friendships, the sense of family that we have, the sense of community, the ability to reach out to another leader in person, or at least easier, more personably, when we were facing challenges. I'm confident that institutions are beginning to realize the value of networking and that they're offering more and more opportunities for leaders in particular to kind of get together again, rely on each other again, support each other again. And I also think that it's something that we've learned the hard way that our students and our young people need to do. Because if we think we've lost socialization, imagine for young people in those prime years of development related to socialization, imagine what they've lost, right? The time when they're supposed to be the most social, the most active, the most outgoing, and they were at home. Networking is a very powerful topic. I'm really glad that you decided to focus this episode on that. I've been a small business owner now for about eight years. And I'm going to tell you that one of the things that has helped me so much is the professional network that I've built, not just as a public relations professional, but as someone who runs a small agency. I belong to this really great organization called Solo PR Pros. And one of the benefits is it comes with a very active private Facebook group. The people who are the most active on it They're so selfless and they will provide expertise. They will provide opinions based upon 20, 30 years of running their own small agencies, templates, ideas, contacts, even sometimes. It's not unusual to go on there and say, I'm doing this and I've hit a block. And then a bunch of people will come in and help you out. And without those kinds of resources, it would be really, really difficult to do this, this kind of work. But even though that online support group is there. I really miss my once a month coffee meetup. I had a group. It was a group of women who ran small agencies here in Houston. And we'd get together for breakfast once a month to talk about these are the things that we're doing. And that one-on-one contact is something that you even over Zoom or Facebook or whatever, there's really no comparison for it. I agree. I agree. I saw that with faculty as well. There's there's nothing like that sense of community. There is nothing like sharing your stories, things that happen from day to day, from week to week. There's nothing like feeling that sense of unity for the things to come. Oh, hey, grades are due. Or hey, we've got these roster certifications we have to do for attendance. In the office, it's hey, we've got this big report or this big project or presentation. And it just seems like that sense of community that we, we call networking right? Because it brings people from different levels together. It's certainly missing. But, you know, I think even beyond into the space that you're talking about, bringing like-minded people together who share the same interests or share the same jobs from different areas, different parts of the city, different institutions, different organizations. That's just such robust conversation, right? I mean, I'm sure that that you feel truly connected to what's happening in your industry whenever you're working with these people. There's an opportunity for you to have insight into trends, into what's coming on the horizon or what problems people are experiencing in relation to PR. It does really go beyond just the socialization. It moves into the realization of what's needed in a particular industry or market, in a particular position or area of interest. I like the sound of that group. I recently experienced that myself. I joined the Texas Executive Women's Network, and I was blown away by just the quality of women and leaders and community builders and those who give back. I was 
I was just stunned. And it really did raise my awareness of what's possible, what I can aspire to be, what comes next for me, moving from higher ed into consulting, certainly a big jump, right? And so networking provides not just the socialization, not just the awareness of trends, but also kind of a vision for what else could happen if I put my mind to it. As a first-gen, and you may have had the same experience, as first-gen, my parents had both been born in Mexico. My dad was a construction worker. My mom didn't go beyond high school. Networking was not a concept that they could teach me because they didn't. Well, if you go back and you look at the way that they were brought up, and my comadre told me this, and my cousin gave me this tip and whatever, they were doing it. But it wasn't a, a more formal kind of, in a way that they could teach me to do it. I went to high school and I went to college and I was a student at the University of Houston. And one of my professors recommended that I join the student chapter of the Public Relations Society of America, PRSSA, and also IABC. And they go, if you're really interested in getting a great internship, join these organizations and then go to the meetings and meet the professionals and tell them I'm looking for an internship and do that. And that's what I did. I joined the the groups. I went and I got two really great internships while I was a college student. This is 25 years ago. Even back then, paid internships in public relations were almost non-existent. And they were both paid internships. They were both really great. I learned a lot on them. And both of them I got through contacts through these professional organizations. And then when I graduated, I got referrals for jobs almost to the day that I became a small business owner through people that I'd met through these professional organizations as well, these and others. And as I was saying earlier, I am a walking, talking advertisement for the success of networking in a professional organization, of meeting other students, meeting other professionals. And even the last full-time employee that I hired, uh, actually, I met because I was at a PRSA luncheon. She came up to me and said, I'm looking for a job. Here's my res. Here's my information. Uh, please keep me in mind or let me know if you you hear of anyone. And I was so impressed by her delivery and her going up. And she, she talked to everyone that even though I didn't have a position, that we brought her in for an interview and then we ended up hiring her. That's phenomenal. That, that experience that you had in putting yourself out there and getting involved and daring to take a chance. And that took a lot of courage and a lot of bravery, as we know, because first-gen students, like you said, don't have that type of teaching happening in the home. We're learning other things that are going to be valuable to us in our in our college and our work careers. But networking is not something that's directly taught. I agree with you there. I think about the networking that I did, I think, through just being sociable. <laughs> I think that I've always avoided small talk wherever possible. I'm a little bit more, I suppose, direct when it comes to socialization. I just, I like to drop all pretenses and just be a friend. And when it came time in college for me to work or find work, it was just kind of networking with friends and family, which is possible, right? We do teach our young people to say hello and and saludar, right? All the tias and the, but what we don't teach them how to do is to ask questions and inquire about what people do. I asked my 16 year old the other day, she had some friends over and I said, so what do Andres's parents do? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> we don't talk about that. And that's very characteristic of Gen Z, right? They are 
they do rely on each other a lot for companionship and and that sense of community, but they're not interested in formal networking per se. My first networking experience was a family friend, Marianne, who was a teacher at a local Title I school in Baytown. And my stepmother said, you need a job. And so Marianne got me connected to the school and I interviewed and I came on as a bilingual teacher's aide. And it was really through people like Marianne, not necessarily family members, but people in my in the periphery within the circle who I, I suppose saw my interest or saw my enthusiasm about pretty much everything <laughs> and gave me an opportunity. For young people listening, I guess what I want you to take away from just this part of the conversation is it's entirely possible to network. I know that that's not a word that is always comfortable, but it is possible to network by being yourself and just being a curious, interested, friendly. There's nothing formal about it, really. There's nothing formal about having a conversation and saying, hey, Sandra, what do you do? Oh, and then when she tells you what she does, oh, wow, how long have you been doing that? And then when she tells you how long she's been doing it, the next question might be, what do you like the most about it? And then when she tells you that, the conversation could go anywhere. It's really just being inquisitive and curious and attempting to get another person talking to you that this kind of networking happens. If you just ask questions, make eye contact and show interest, everywhere you go, you're networking because that person will remember your approach. They'll remember that you were friendly. They'll remember that you were interested in them. And if any opportunity ever comes up, you're going to be at the top of the mind to be referred to that opportunity. Sandra and I had formal networking experiences, but not everyone does. And that's okay. It can come organically, just through everyday interactions. The first time I was invited to a Latina professional organization, I was still a college student, and we really didn't have a lot of role models for the type of position or the type of role that I wanted to become. They weren't in television. They weren't on film. They weren't in my immediate family, that kind of thing. My mom and dad, they had four kids and my dad would say, my children are going to have office jobs. That was it. We weren't going to end up working in restaurants or grocery stores or whatever. We were going to have office jobs. He worked out in the sun, worked manual labor. The first time that I went to a Latina professional group and it was, and everyone's introducing themselves and there were bankers and financial analysts, and lawyers and accountants and all these women who looked like people I could recognize. And it was startling. It was the, that moment of clarity. If it were the comics, it would be the little light bulb on the top of my head going, okay, I fit <laughs> in this room. I fit in this room. Yeah. And yeah. It, that was it. very helpful to me to, to make it seem like I wasn't really reinventing the wheel yeah from a personal perspective that helped a lot for me because for most for the most part even today in uh, public relations it's not a supremely diverse group of people it's gotten so much better and it's much more diverse than when i started out but back then it was a lot less so and so to be in a room like that that was helpful yeah for sure and then and then of course it was all of the oh Let me make an introduction for you. And what you really need to do is X. And here's some tips for, and all of that ended up being helpful as well. You have a doctorate degree. You went from being a teacher to going on. So how did, how did that work out? How did your, how did your 
your network, for lack of a better word, to play a role in that? That's a really good question. Before I answer it, I just wanted to say that I appreciate you sharing the story about the words that your father shared with all of you. I think those are the things that young people need to hear, that that times haven't changed so much, that parents are still the same, that first-gen parents all say the same things because my dad said, Miha, you're going to be a career woman. Miha, you're going to be a career woman, like since I was five. And, and you just illuminated what his words meant. He meant you're not going to do 12-hour shifts the way that I had to do. You know, you're not going to have a four-day work week working 12 hours a day um, to, pay, to pay the bills. I appreciate that you shared that story. Your, your father, I'm sure, is very proud of all of you. And that's, that's what we're aiming for. We're trying to improve our families and make the, the next generation better than this one. As far as achieving my doctorate, I would say that that experience was very similar to the way that you described signing up for your first PR club, it was self-driven. In higher ed, the expectation around advancing in leadership is that you have to have your doctorate if you want to move up as a leader. I knew that, but that's not why I did it. I was always going to get my doctorate. It was because my father started telling me these things as a young child. and It was always my goal to be Dr. Michelle Gunther Wilson. And that was in the back of my mind. Those little dreams that we have as, as, as children, as young people, they stay there. Those of you listening who are first-generation students or getting ready to go to college, keep those dreams. Don't, don't think that just because they seem far-fetched or kind of way out there that they're not possible. You go through so many different phases of life and different possibilities open up at each phase. What you can do now is not the same as what you're going to be able to do when you're 40. And I was 42 when I started my doctorate. I was already a professor. I, I knew that I wanted to do a doctorate that was close to home because I had three children at that time. I still have three children, but they were all under the age of 12 at that time. And I did my research and I figured out that Yale was going to be the closest in distance for me and that the program was thought of very highly. I had to motivate myself to reach out, go to an interest session. I had to motivate myself to work on my resume and my curriculum vita, a curriculum vita, a CV is a resume for people in higher education. The way that we list our resume is very different from a regular resume, a professional resume, because we have research or different presentations for conferences and things like that. I had to work on that. I had to motivate myself to figure out which program I wanted to get into. And then when I was accepted, it felt really good because I did all those things by myself. When you enter the program, that's when the networking begins because you don't do anything alone. Once you get into those cohorts, you're in a group for your master's and your doctorate. You're not a learner by yourself. You're always part of a team. That's when the networking really began. Meeting people in the cohorts who worked from different, worked in different schools, higher ed, public ed, industry, and um, learning about them, being curious about them. Uh, and that really has paid out in different ways since I graduated. I, I graduated at 45 and I'm still in touch with people. Who I met on that journey. Dr. Patrick Cadenas from UHCL is a leader there now. And Dr. Antonio Corrales, Dr. Renee Lestraps, Dr. Michelle Peters, uh, Dr. Tim Richardson. These are all people that I still know, even though I graduated three years ago. I'm still in touch with these people. It's amazing because you remain part of those communities. That was a more formal networking experience in terms of once you get into a, a higher education program, like your associates or your bachelor's or your master's or your doctorate. But it does take the same courage, same self-motivation um, that any other networking experience requires. 
What do you wish you knew then that you knew not, you know now? Well, it's funny you should ask that. I'm going to be giving a keynote address to a, a group of about 200 high school girls through the Texas Diversity Council on Friday. And one of the things that I wanted to share with them is I want young people, and I wish someone had been more direct about this with me when I was young. I want young people to have more grounding, more confidence in their ideas and their their goals, the ones that excite them the most. Because I think a lot of times we sacrifice the enthusiasm and the happiness for something that is safe and secure. And I think in today's society, it's possible to do both, to have a career that is safe and secure, but to also make sure that you're, you're on the pathway to your dream job, whether that's being a business owner, whether that's being a, a PR professional, owning your own agency. You're a good example of that because you stayed on the path of what interested you the most, right? You kept close to your passion. And I want young people to know that if you have a dream, let's say it's related to music, and you know that you want to achieve something related to music, then make a concerted effort to follow a path that keeps you as close to that dream as possible. Even if it's not something that is a realistic job when you're 19, if you stay close to the industry, it might turn into a really realistic job. And in the meantime, you're going to be happy because you're doing something that you love, or you're at least close to an industry or a career that you love. When I was young, I knew that I wanted to go into journalism. I, I was going to be the Mexican Barbara Walters. And our audience will not know who that is, Sandra. <laughs> they will not know, but you know, you know who Barbara Walters is. And I loved her. I just, I wanted to be her. And, and I did major in communications. It was my first major, but it was at the University of Houston, a very cutthroat program. And I've already said I'm a friendly person. I like to get along. I don't like a lot of small talk. I just I want everybody to be friends. And it wasn't a very friendly environment back then. And I changed majors. And I'm happy with the career that I had. I've, I'm a lifelong educator. I was, I was meant to be an educator. I'm the oldest of 26 grandkids. I've, I've always been in charge of, of young people. And I have loved that career. But I wish I had taken some time to explore or that somebody would have pushed me and said, Michelle, you love journalism. You love broadcasting. You have a dream of having your own show one day. At least stay close to that industry. Now, I didn't let those ideas go away. Like I told you earlier, keep those planted in your mind. I do have Latinx Learners, which is a very small a podcast for first generation, a YouTube show for first generation higher education students, professionals, and leaders with my friend, Dr. Daniel Villanueva from Uni University of Houston downtown. And I've been a keynote speaker. I have been on many podcasts like this wonderful podcast. I, I get to fulfill that part of the dream, but I'm still curious, like what, what else could I have done as a young person when I had all that time and energy and opportunity? If someone had said, stay close to your dream, guess that's what I would say to the, to the young people listening is don't go so far away from your dream because you believe that it's not realistic or sensible, that it's not possible. Anything is possible. You just, you sometimes have to be patient with possibility because it'll show up at different phases of your life. 
Your 20s will be very different from your 30s and your 40s will be very different from your 30s. Different phases require a different you. And as you evolve and you grow, different opportunities become available to you because of who you are becoming. So that terrified networker that you were at 18, you get better at it. And then it just becomes something that you naturally do. Just takes with, I think at the beginning, just takes the awareness that by being yourself and being curious and being inquisitive, asking questions and being nice to people, being kind, that that's networking. There's nothing formal about it. No, you're helping to develop leaders. You're helping to develop leadership. What recommendations and tips would you give college students that are either about to graduate or are just a few years in that are just trying to figure out that there's so much more to getting a job after they graduate than just getting a degree? I can tell you, having been part of a lot of conversations with industry professionals through higher education, that employers, bosses... They are looking for two important characteristics in employees above everything else, even above education sometimes. And one of those is critical thinking. Your employers, your bosses want to know that you are thinking critically, deeply, right, strategically, analytically about things that are happening. They want to know that, let's say you're given a project to do. That if you notice that maybe this is taking too long and that there's a shorter way, that you say something because you're thinking critically about the process. If let's say you're in healthcare and you, you say, well, what about how the patient feels or how the patient's family feels? And when there's a discussion about patient care, then they know that you're thinking critically, you're thinking deeper about an issue. So that's one of them. And I've heard that directly said by, I remember a director of a nursing organization who said, we need nurses that think critically. Another one that I heard from, I think it was the petrochemical industry, was we need people who are problem solvers. We're just not seeing enough of that in, in industry and that creates problems. And, and if we can't, solve problems, then that can turn into safety hazards, right? And we certainly want our workplaces to be safe for everyone involved. Solving problems means that you're paying attention. Solving problems means that you're present. You know, when you get to work, you are engaged, like you're at work. I went to Walgreens the other day, and there was a, a young person who was at the counter at the register, and he had his phone uh, in his hand while he was checking me out. He's checking me out, and he's answering messages. Now, those messages could have been his boss. I certainly don't know. And I, I'm not here to accuse, but I will say that if there was an issue that was happening at the back of the store, if that young person was serving me and responding to a message, then that certainly was not problem solving or critical thinking or even being present. And so that is, that's the second thing that I, I've heard from employers is problem solving requires presence. It requires you disconnecting from everything else and being at work when it's time to work. If you are getting ready to go out into the workforce and you're looking for a job, then I would certainly put on your resume any skills that you have or experience that you have in problem solving and critical thinking. Any examples that you can share and take time to think about like, when have I really thought critically about something and helped advance a project or supported my family or helped a teacher or someone in another job? 
And then also think, how have I been a problem solver? And be ready with those stories, because in the workplace, we're going to ask you, we're going to ask you to share examples so that we know we're hiring the right person. I think the only other thing that I would say to first-generation college students is we may not be taught directly by our families how to enroll in college or how financial aid works, what an associate's degree even is, or what a bachelor's is, or how many hours. We may not be taught those things by our families, but we are taught a lot of other things that help in college. So remember that person that you are around your family when you're being loud and you're being funny and you know, you're being your authentic self and you feel confident in who you are. Bring that to college. Don't put that away when you get to college. The way that you would loudly ask your cousin how to do something, right? Then in college, just ask someone to help you. Talk to your professors. Share your sense of humor. Share your sense of community. Don't stop being who you are because you think you have to be a certain thing in college. College is there to serve you. You bring your authentic self, and we will embrace that in colleges and make sure that we get you closer to your dreams. Stay yourself. Being first gen does not mean that you have disadvantages. It means that you have a different set of skills that you're going to offer when you get to the college classroom. Well, thank you very much, Michelle, for joining us today. And good luck with your new role. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you for joining us today at How to College First Gen. Have a great week.